everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. It's going to be live from our studios right here in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here with us for another day of discovery in the Word of God and for another opportunity just to know Jesus better. I mean, when it really comes down to it, folks, the reason we read and we study the Word is primarily to understand and to know Him. You know, He is called the Word made flesh. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And that word came and, and dwelt among us. But he's given us also this logos. He's given us this, this written word that is uh, the, the, the theonoustos. It's the God-breathed word of God that's spoken into our lives. You know, folks, you think about somebody. Here we live next to the, uh, uh, the ocean. And with it, you know, living close to the ocean, you know, you have lifeguards that are stationed all across the, the beach in the, in the warmer months. And, uh, you know, they're there in case uh, someone gets in trouble out of the water. So say, for instance, someone uh, drowns and they, they've ingested this water and they've stopped breathing. What they'll do is they'll pull them up on the shore and they'll begin to give them CPR. And by, by doing that, what they're doing is breathing uh, air into their lungs because their lungs are not able to take air in themselves. And so it becomes that, that breath of life to them. Folks, you know what the Word of God is? It's like us being drowned in our sin. It's like us being... Uh, uh, drowned in really a, a sea of, of, of deception, all those things. But what the Word comes and does is when you feel like you're, maybe you're, you're drowning in, in worry, you're de- drowning in fear, you're drowning in, in unbelief, you're, you're drowning in, 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 in concern, or whatever it may be, if you'll get to the Word of God, the Word of God is just like that spiritual lifeguard that's, that's pressing his, his, his breath to your breath and breathing in where you were not able to have the capacity to do that. So we come here daily to, to basically have the Word of God breathed into our heart, into our life, because it is a living Word. And if you're joining us for the very first time, we are here typically Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for this expository teaching in the Word of God. This is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want to check out more information on Raven Ministry, I encourage you to go to our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com, and you can get more information on Raven Ministries International. Well, presently what we're doing is we're doing an expository teaching on the, the book of the Revelation, or the unveiling of Jesus. And you know, we've got 66 books in this canon of Scripture that we call the Bible or the book. And really, at the end of this canon of scripture we have this revelation and and really what it does it, 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 it serves to kind of encapsulate the God that we were introduced from from the beginning and it's the same God it's the same Jesus the same yesterday today and forever but we get to see the full revelation or the uh, the, 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 the unveiling of who he is and really what his desire and what his plan are. And so as we're studying this book, I really encourage you to, to look at Jesus through this. Because we're going to talk a lot of things uh, uh, prophetically. We're going to talk about things uh, in relationship to uh, the end times. But at the end of the day, folks, it's about exposing and revealing Jesus Christ to us. So I really want you to keep that in mind. If you haven't been with us in the past, we make these classes available to you on our website, which is BigRace.com. Just click on Raven Institute, and you'll see a little player pop up there that you're able to uh, take and download uh, the uh, the messages in MP3 format. All that's absolutely free uh, of charge to you. Take it, distribute it, make copies of it, put it on your MP3 player or your, your iPod, whatever it may be, to be able to, to take that and study that. If you have questions uh, regarding this that we're not able to answer or maybe don't come up in the class, go to uh, uh, an email. Go email me at raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com. Send me an email. I'd love to correspond with you. If it's uh, a question... 
uh, pertaining to our study of the Revelation, we, we may address it right here on the, on the program. Because if you have that question, maybe somebody else does as well, but they didn't take the time to answer it. If it's a uh, question about another passage of Scripture or something else that you're, you want some input on or you have something to say, uh, we'll talk about that. It's probably through email or whatever else. And so don't those, those classes are available. Also, uh, we're reloading our uh, classes on Romans. We Prior to doing this discussion and this class on Revelation, we did 197 hours on the book of Romans, and there's 110 of those available for free download as well. So all 197 classes in Romans, however many classes in the book of the Revelation are going to be available to you for that. So if you have prayer requests, send those to pray at biggrace.com. Pray at biggrace.com. You know, especially right now, folks, uh, myself, I'm kind of in a, in a kind of in a private season, season of prayer, a personal season of prayer, I guess you'd say it, for young people. I'm just believing God's going to do some things. And so maybe you have a, a young person in your life. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's a nephew. Maybe it's a you know your son or your daughter or grandchild. And you're just believing God for some a breakthrough in their life. Maybe they're not walking with the Lord. Maybe they're 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 bound by some type of addiction or something like that. You want to see them healed. Send that prayer request to me. Specifically, I'm praying for young people or your children. Your children may not be young anymore, so to speak, but they're still your children. But send me that to uh, pray at biggrace.com. I'm going to be just praying and going through just a, a, another season of, of prayer, fasting, and intercession for young people. Maybe you have a child that is walking with the Lord and is saved, but you just want God to just bring personal revival into their life, and you want them to be used for the kingdom, and just want God to keep them and seal them at this time. Send those to, to me as well at pray at biggrace.com. We're going to be praying for that generation. I believe that we can reach that generation, that that generation is going to reach the world for the kingdom. Because God, I believe, is strategically placing them in schools and college campuses and in different places that, that maybe we cannot be effective. So we need to pray for them that God is going to really stir something up in their hearts from the youngest to, to the, the, our oldest kids. Uh, we want to be praying and believing in Jesus for this day time for them. Also, don't forget, we're gearing up for our um, 14th trip into New Orleans. For our Mardi Gras outreach, that's February 20th through the 24th. Love to have you be a part of that. We got people coming from all across uh, North America, and uh, maybe as many, I think about 200 uh, uh, estimated coming into our camp this year, which is going to be our largest one ever. And so we need you. We we need we need you there with us. We believe God's going to do some tremendous things in the streets of New Orleans during Mardi Gras. So um, be a part of that. More questions? Also send them to ravenatbigrace.com. Answer any questions that you have. Go to the website. Click on Mardi Gras. Outreach. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Just ask for His leading and direction on this time of teaching that God would just, once again, reveal Himself to us in a mighty way. Father, we just thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus, Lord God, that He's revealing Himself, Lord God, uh, day by day, Lord God, from glory to glory to glory. And Father, our desire today, Lord God, is just to know You. Father, is to come into a place of intimacy. We don't want to ever come before You, Lord God, and You say to us, I never knew You, You that work lawlessness. Father, we don't want to ever, Lord God, be those people that are always in pursuit, Lord God, ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And we're not talking about just the truth as, a, as something to fill up our head. We're talking about Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, we want to know Jesus in a greater, Lord God, and more intimate way. So, Father, as we come today, Father, we lay aside, Lord God, every way, Lord God, anything that would so easily beset us, Lord God, anything that would hinder, Lord God, others coming to you. Father, all the worries, the stress, Lord God, all those things that, that bounce around in our mind that seek to distract us, Lord God, from what you're saying. Father, we take every thought, everything captive, Lord God, anything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ, Lord God, we cast those things down. And we ask for the mind of Christ today in this place. Father, whether we're here in, in, in Florida, Lord God, or in Canada, or Mexico, or in India, 
Lord God, whether we're in California or Texas, Lord God, or in Georgia, wherever we may be, find ourselves, Lord God, today. We're just asking, Lord God, that your spirit would show up in a powerful way and you to speak to us, Lord God. Father, personally, into our hearts and lives. Lord God, we, we need to know you. But we know that your, your word is the lamp unto our feet. It is the light unto our path. And so, Father, we're asking you, Lord God, to turn on, Lord God, the high wattage, Father, for us today. Because we have got to have a word from you, Lord God. We have got to hear your voice. We've got to know you, Lord God. And we thank you that you do speak. You do confirm, Lord God, what you're saying, Lord God, in your word. And so, Father, as we come to your word, we do so, Lord God, in a spirit of humility, Lord God. But in a spirit of expectancy, Lord God, uh, today expecting you to say and show us something, Lord God, that's going to make us more effective, Lord God, and more uh, in your kingdom and more desperate, Lord God, for the lost and dying. So, Lord God, come to this place and fill us up. And Father, we do pray for the young people. Father, we have uh, many that, that, that are with us here, and, and uh, Lord God, many that are part of this class and uh, others. Father, that, that we're praying for, that, that are not walking with you. We're just praying, Lord God, for revival to break loose, Lord God, on this generation. We're asking, Lord God, that you would just cause a revolution to rise up, Lord God. We just ask that you would just cause something to be stirred up and fired up in their hearts and lives, Lord God, that's going to bring them into the kingdom, Lord God, with a desperation like never before. Let this generation, Lord God, walk in responsibility to their generation, Lord God. So, Father, come fill this place. Enable me, Lord God, and lay everything down, Lord God, that you might be glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Folks, you know, the, the, book, uh, the Word of God is a book that really, what it does is continually poses the question. And the question is, who do you serve? Or who do you choose would probably be a better qu- uh, way to pose that question today. And, and so I ask the question, you know, who, who do you choose? Who is it that your, your life is, is, uh, is dedicated to? You know, because everything that you do, you choose. You drive up to a, a fast food restaurant, you choose. Uh, you get ready to uh, turn on your radio, you choose. Uh, you uh, begin to, to look for a spouse, you choose. All these things that you, you do, it's, it's full of choices. And folks, the Word of God from front to back is a, a book really the same way. I, I think about throughout the world, you look at number 16, I kind of touched on this yesterday in our service, you know, when uh, the people were told to either uh, choose between following Moses, who was following after God, or choose the way of Korah, who was in the way of rebellion. And so you see that in number 16, you see in, in Joshua 24 and 15, where Joshua tells the people, he begins to present all these wondrous things that God had done for them. And it's at the end of his life, and he gives his own personal little benediction. And he tells them, you know, choose this day whom you will serve. He said, but for, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so you, you see it in Numbers, you see it in Joshua, you, you see it in the Gospels. Throughout the Gospels, it's really people are being, being offered the choice uh, whether or not they're going to follow Jesus. And so now we come to this book of the, uh, the revelation or of the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that really, folks, it's, all, it's about all our choices that we make have eternal consequences. You know, you're going to make choices today that are going to be consequential in regards to eternity. You're going to make uh, decisions today that, that are going to affect where you spend eternity. You know, plain and simple. There's people that make those things every single day. And folks, so in this lifetime, basically what we're done, we're, we're, we're given or afforded so many opportunities to choose whether we're going to spend eternity in heaven or whether we're going to spend eternity in hell. And you know, when it comes right down to it, those are the two choices that we have. I can choose heaven and walk in righteousness. I can choose hell and work in, walk in unrighteousness. If I want to walk in unrighteousness, uh, then I just go the way of the world and I go, I go the way of deception. If I want to walk in righteousness and go to heaven, though, I've got to be a follower after Christ Jesus. 
Folks, listen, I want, I want to say this to you, though. Eternity is not a choice. It's a given. And so you're going to spend eternity somewhere, and this book of the Revelation, the unveiling, is a book of that. And so the choice that we have is where we're going to spend eternity, and, uh, and, and, and how's that place or what conditions that we're going to be under. And so the consequences of choice there are, are such that, that most, if not all, false religions, basically they've eliminated eternal hell from all of their teachings. You look at the Jehovah Witnesses, you look at the Mormons, you look at pagan religions. They've, they've eliminated the, the, the threat or the promise, really, of an eternal hell. And so they offer blessing, basically, to the ardent follower, and they offer just uh, basic annihilation or soul sleep to those that are non-adherents to their faith. And so the Word of God, though, to us folks, presents either a wide gate to eternal damnation and punishment, where the Scripture says the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched, or a narrow gate to eternal life, where we're going to spend our life dedicated and followers and worshiping the Creator of the universe. And so what's interesting to me is when I'm looking at this uh, this 14th chapter of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, Really, all, it, all it's about is just making choices up to this point. Everything that we've seen here, it's choices. The, the word comes, they make a choice. We, we look through the church age, those seven churches of Asia Minor, they were given a choice. Turn away. Repent. I'm going to come to you quickly. I have one thing against you. They, they were given the choice. Here's what you've got to do. Hear what I've got to say. If you have ears to hear, hear. Follow after me. The 144,000 came and they began to preach. You've got to choose where you're going to follow. The two witnesses come. They, 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 they begin to share the testimony. You've got to choose. The Antichrist is on the scene. You're going to choose Christ, the genuine Messiah. You're going to choose the... So throughout this whole 14th uh, chapter, what we're going to do is come to this place and see all these choices have been made. You know, chapter 13, as we talked about, basically what it revealed is the spiritual condition and the activities that were kind of happening behind the scenes and how they really manifested themselves in the middle of this, this great tribulation or the, the middle of the week. And now what we're seeing is how slender that narrow way really is, how narrow it is, how, how small the narrow way is. Now think about this. Up to this point, basically Satan and his demons, those falling angels, have, uh, have, they've lost their access to the heavenly realm and are now just basically relegated to, uh, to infiltrate and influence and possess and torment uh, terra firma, just planet earth. They don't have that access to go before the throne of God and to uh, accuse the brethren day and night. Here at this midpoint, Satan, basically what he's done is possessed the Antichrist through this uh, coalition. Uh, uh, he's also entered into this revised Roman Empire, and he's making this last effort to, uh, to basically thwart the plan of God. Uh, also, Satan, the beast, that political Antichrist and the false prophet, they form this unholy trinity in order to bring as many people as possible under this demonic control. Uh, the next thing is through this unholy trinity uh, and the exercise basically of political and military and spiritual influence, they, they, uh, they gain control of the world system of government and religion. Uh, they also are the only ones that are basically not under their dominion are these Jews who have refused to bow to the beast and have fled under the wilderness. Uh, those that do not submit that are in the world that are in that system are basically going to be hunted down. They're going to be killed. But we see also at this point that God in His mercy has totally continued to intervene uh, in really a continuous, uh, uh, continuing uh, hopeless condition of man. And in the first half of the tribulation, God opens the door uh, of opportunity for those who were left behind after Revelation chapter 4, uh, verse 1. And so through that door, through that opportunity, through the, the witness of the uh, 144,000 evangelists uh, of the Jews uh, and the two witnesses, 
the earth's inhabitants are going to have the opportunity to hear the gospel. They've got that choice. Then in the second half of the, the tribulation, eventually there's still going to be a choice, but it's going to be done more in a secretive type of way just because of the, uh, the type of persecution. The uh, 144,000 Jewish witnesses will all have been martyred. The two witnesses are going to be martyred. And uh, uh, evangelism is basically going to be done. The choice is going to come at the threat of pretty much instantaneous execution. And so under those conditions, basically God is still offering mercy. He's still offering a, a hope. He's still offering a way out, even as bleak as it is. And so then we also see three angels are sent to warn, once again, the inhabitants of the earth. To, to make the right choice, the right decision. These uh, angels are proclaiming the gospel and they warn every man of the eternal destruction for choosing Satan. And finally, chapter 14, what we see is the Son of Man. He's going to be pictured as reaping that final harvest of tribulation saints who will die in this final persecution. And this final period ends uh, as the armies uh, uh, are going to gather together in length, basically, against Israel. In this uh, last day's army of the earth is pictured as grapes entering the winepress of God's wrath, known as the uh, Battle of Armageddon. So, kind of brings us up to this point where we're at. And uh, so, I want us to look at, we're going to try to uh, cover Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5 this morning. And kind of show this whole, this whole picture that's being presented. But I want to, I want to read those first five verses to you. Uh, first off, and we're going to dive into that verse 1. And he says, And I looked, and, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having their names written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which have not defiled, were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no God, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Uh, uh, folks, listen, chapter 14, basically, write this down in your notes. It's going to deal with seven visions that John was allowed to receive. Seven visions. And think about these visions. Each of these visions is, is really a uh, kind of a standalone vision, and uh, it's part of obviously a part of the big picture. But really, they represent seven distinct events that are not. You need to know this. They are not necessarily given in chronological order. And so you're going to see seven visions that are going to be portrayed here in the 14th chapter that are going to just bring some clarity. They're just going to bring a picture, a glimpse of what John is seeing. But remember, they're not necessarily going to be presented in uh, chronological order. And so they're, they're not meant to really kind of be strung together and kind of give us a, an outline of the way things are going to work. But basically, they're kind of just some supportive kind of blurbs that that been given uh, to, so we can see things in a clear way that have already been revealed or things that are going to come at a later date as we get deeper into this unveiling. But look at what verse Verse 1 said, and it says, And I looked, and it says, And there was a lamb that stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Then he says, And I looked, or then I looked, is what John said. Folks, what John is seeing, he's seeing something really with his own eyes. He's not talking in metaphors. He's talking about something that God has given directly to him. Folks, here's the thing that I want to say to you today. God will speak to you. I hear people say all the time, well, God's not speaking to me. Well, God's speaking. It's a matter of or not, are we listening to what God is saying? A lot of times we think God's not speaking because when God speaks, we don't like what he has to say. 
When God begins to challenge us, God begins to correct us, God begins to, to, to admonish us towards something better, basically we, we want to discount those things and say, well, that can't be God because He's not ringing true with what I want Him to say. Folks, God is speaking. The question is, are we going to hear His voice? The Word says that His sheep will hear His voice and another they will not follow. And it doesn't say that His sheep are going to tell Him what to say. It doesn't say that His sheep are going to contrive something in their own hearts. It says that His sheep know His voice and another what? Another what? Another voice they will not follow. And so if you're following a voice that is contrary to the voice of the Lord, which is uh, manifested and confirmed through His Word and by His Holy Spirit, then I, I wonder if you're a part of the sheepfold or you're part of the goatfold. But John said, I'm seeing these things with my own eyes. I, I, I've seen them. I've looked. And here's what God is saying. It, you know, this is, and we talked about this before, this is very johnny and, you know, in that uh, he's always careful to declare that his revelation is not some second-hand thing. He didn't get a word from somebody else. He didn't say, well, I went to this prophecy conference, and, and you can believe that three people had a word for me. No, no, folks, there's nothing wrong with that. somebody giving you a word that's a word of confirmation. But if someone's always giving you words, you're thinking, well, that's really neat. I never thought about that before. Throw that word away. Where God speaks uh, is in confirmation to what he's speaking to you. He, you belong to him. He's not going to say something to someone else and leave you out of the loop when it concerns you specifically. And so with John, basically he wanted people to know, listen, I'm in the loop. He said, I, I'm hearing from God. I, I, God has took me up in this place and shown me things. This is not something secondhand, but it's given really as an eyewitness account of events. We talked about it in regards to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And what he, how he opened up the, 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 the introduction to his the, the first uh, book of 1 John. And he says, that which we have seen and heard is what we declare unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. Folks, that is so powerful right there. The things that we have seen and heard, we declare unto you. Why is that so powerful? Why? Because the mouth will speak out of the abundance of the heart. And so whatever I see is what I'm taking in. That's my eye, my eye gate, is the window to my soul. It's what brings everything into my spirit. But how I see things, and I've talked about this many times, I hope you can get it maybe eventually, is our perspective on things is what allows things to come into our life. And so if I've got a, a godly or a God type view of things, if I've got the God perspective on things, I'm allowing things to come in influenced by the way God sees things. If I do not have the God perspective, if I'm always seeing things through really the, the critical nature of my flesh, what am I doing? I'm allowing all these other things to come in that are consistent with my old nature. I'm allowing bitterness. I'm allowing uncertainty. I'm allowing wrath. I'm allowing fear. I'm allowing jealousy. I'm allowing uncertainty. I, I'm, I'm allowing pride. I'm allowing lust. I'm allowing whatever. Why? Because all of those things are going to come from the wrong perspective. I'm going to see from that place. But when I see from the, the elevated place where I'm in Christ, what happens? I begin to see holiness. I begin to see victory. I begin to see deliverance. I begin to see the power of God. I begin to see all these things from that perspective. Now, folks, I can either dwell in this place of, of deceit. I can dwell in this place of darkness. Or I can walk in the light as He is in the light. And everything is illuminated. I see on down the road. And so I'm not tripped up by these stumbling blocks that are in my way. Why? Because I'm seeking first, as the Word of God says, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so John said, the things that I've seen and heard is what I declare to you. And so unless I've seen God's victory, I will never preach God's 
victory. Unless I've, I've walked in God's love, you know what? I'm never going to speak out God's love. If I've never really had the salvation experience in that, 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 that defining moment in my life, I'm not going to really have the courtesy to go tell anybody else about something that I've never experienced. You hear what I'm saying? What, what drives you is what you've allowed to come in, what you've looked upon. So if I look upon righteousness, what's going to happen? I'm going to speak righteousness. If I've looked upon what Jesus said in his word, that he was moved with compassion, what's going to happen? I'm going to be moved with compassion. So John is carrying out that same thing. This is so very important in this, this uh, first verse in chapter 14. Uh, think about it from 1 John 4.14. Jump down three, three chapters. And here's what he said again. He said, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Why? Because they saw that Jesus was the Savior of the world. So, as a result, they had to testify. Which is probably one of the greatest condemnations that's come upon the church uh, today. And really the, the professing church, I guess you'd call it Christendom, those that want to come under the, uh, the auspices of the name Christianity, is our failure to identify with 1 John 4.14. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Because the church has been largely silent, uh, I think a, a, a Barna survey a number of years ago said 97% of professing Christians have never personally led someone to Jesus Christ. In other words, 97% of people that say they have seen him never do testify that Jesus is the Savior of the world to the lost and dying. And so what does that tell me? Well, it doesn't tell me because of my opinion. It tells me because of the word. What have they really looked upon? Have they looked upon salvation uh, through Christ Jesus? If they have, what's going to happen? Their testimony, their conversation is going to be birthed out of that experience. I, I've said recently, I said, you know, uh, our, our words, when we speak, our words go before us. And they, they lead us. Where are your words leading you? Are, are your words, is your testimony leading you into the harvest field of souls? Is it leading you into the streets of your city? Is it leading you to testify to the lost people? Is it leading you into the streets of New Orleans or, or in Durham or San Francisco or Los Angeles or, or New York or, or your community? Is it leading you to the people that are lost that you might show them that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? That's where John's vision led him, folks. John's vision just didn't lead him up to a heavenly place where he could sit there and, and, and pick a golden harp with somebody else and, and talk about the, uh, the, the splendor of everything he saw. Certainly he saw those things. But John's vision, what John saw, was, was, was something that wanted to reveal and point people to show that Jesus is that lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That Jesus is that one that sits upon the throne of glory. That Jesus is the God of the seven churches of Asia Minor. That Jesus is coming back and with power and with authority. That Jesus is the one that holds the keys of hell and of death. That Jesus is, is, the, is the one that the redeemed of the Lord are going to have to say so about. Folks, that's what John saw. So my question is, what is it that you're looking at? Or, or what is it that you see? Or, or what is it that you're able to ascertain in the Spirit? I say that because of Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you're part of our leadership, you're in, you've read probably Ezekiel by now. And, but if, I want you to look at something. This may have passed right over it. But Ezekiel chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says this. The word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Son of man... And you that dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and ears, uh, excuse me, have eyes to see but do not see, and they have ears to hear but do not hear, because they are a rebellious house. So how many rebellious people do we have here today? If you're not seeing, you're rebellious. If you're not hearing, you're rebellious. 
You know what rebellion means there in the Hebrews? It's that mere, M-E-R-E-E, would give you a good English spelling of the Hebrew word. It's the mere. And if, when he's talking about, he says, you dwell in the midst of a mere house. You, you dwell in the midst of a bitter house. To be mere, to be rebellious here, is to be bittered or embittered towards something. Now check this out. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 say this. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man will see the Lord. What did he say? He said, And I looked. What did John say? I have testified which I have seen and heard, I declare. He also said the things that we see and hear we do testify. And so, if I don't walk in holiness, I will not see the Lord. Then he goes on to say, looking diligently, looking, lest any man fall of the grace of God, lest any man fall of the divine influence of God upon the heart with its reflection in its life, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Folks, listen. He saw because he was submitted. Now, if you're not seeing, if you're not hearing, if you're not... Testified, that means you're rebellion against, you have a rebellion against the things of God, and that rebellion is birthed out of a seed of bitterness. Folks, bitterness is the root of rebellion, and rebellion is something that will close your eyes so that you cannot see the things that God desires to reveal to you. Why do I say that? Well, James 4, 7 through 10 tells me this. It says, Therefore, submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil. Somebody say, Resist the devil. And he will flee. Draw nigh to God. Get where you can see him. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded person is somebody that tries to see both things. Tries to think two ways. Tries to, to adhere to two different things. And he said, be afflicted in mourning. Weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he'll lift you up. In other words... Walk in humility towards the things that you see. Don't walk in rebellion. Walk in humility. Don't walk in, in bitterness. Walk in thanksgiving. He said, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Folks, listen. God's desire is for us to see Him, to know Him, and to hear Him. The question is, what are we seeing, hearing, and knowing? It's always going to come out of the testimony of our mouths. And so here we have John uh, really uh, posed and poised to begin to deliver these seven visions. But he's clarifying. He says, listen, I want you to know that come out of me, it's because I see the Lord. He said, everything that's come out of me is because I've spent the, the time, everything that, that I have sent to the hill of the Lord because I have clean hands and a pure heart. Now I'm able to dwell in that place with Him. And I think about when I, when I say this, about when Jesus went to His disciples and He says, who, who do men who have seen me basically say that I am? And you know, they had some, some very nice things, but it never did measure up. But He asked His disciples, people who had seen Him, had dwelt with Him, had been with Him, who do you say that I am? And Peter obviously said, you know, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he, Jesus came back in. He said, listen, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. In other words, your, your old rebellious nature, your bitterness has not revealed those things to you, but your Father is in heaven. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He said, upon this rock, upon myself, he was talking about Jesus, uh, this Petra, he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Behold, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Later on in that same chapter, he begins to uh, uh, talk about the things that he's got to suffer and go to Jerusalem. And what just happens? Peter gets his eyes off. He stops seeing things from the God perspective. And it says he pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him. 
Uh, and Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. He said, you become a reproach to me. Why? Because you're more concerned with how you see things in the flesh, is basically what he said, rather than how you see things from a heavenly perspective. Folks, listen. You can walk in a heavenly perspective one minute, and in a minute you can turn on God. And you can begin to rebuke Him. Why? Because you're not seeing eye to eye. Folks, listen. If you want to see through to the end, if you want to endure to the end and see Him when, when, when the trumpet sounds, you are going to have to remain focused and single-minded in regards to hearing the voice of God. That way your testimony always rings true of what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've testified. He said, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood uh, on Mount Zion. And folks, what's interesting about this, the last time we saw that uh, uh, John saw Jesus as the Lamb was in Revelation uh, 7 and 9. Remember that, back in your notes. And that's where the great multitude from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, they stood before the, the Lamb and before the, uh, the throne. And this, uh, this multitude that we saw then was the result of the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses who were uh, pictured on earth at that time as opposed to heaven. And so he says in verse 1, he said, I saw, uh, lo and behold, I saw uh, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, uh, having the, the, the Father's name written in their foreheads. And so this, this, this lamb, once again, back to 7, the, the multitude was a result of this testimony of God's grace, giving him this, 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 uh, this, this legion of people that were willing to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as a result, the multitude. And so what we've got to in preparation for that moment is the same heart of the 144,000. Why? Because they were sealed. Folks, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. What's the proof of that? Our testimony is the proof of that. If you're not sealed, your testimony is going to be all over the charts. But if you're sealed under the day of redemption and you see things the way He sees things, you'll do things the way that He does things and there'll be a maturity, there'll be that, the, the, the righteousness, there'll be the heart of Jesus and there'll be the same desperation that, that drove Him to the cross is going to drive you, amen, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what John saw because he was close to God was this, the Lamb standing right there with him, that 144,000 having their names written in their forehead. So that's the same 144,000 that uh, in chapter 14 that uh, that's that we've seen revealed before. And so there are those Jewish witnesses from those 12 tribes. And once again, Revelation 7 through uh, uh, 1 through 8. And what's interesting is now you see them gathered before the throne of God in heaven, following their martyrdom. And so they make it. They testified. They saw things. In the midst of the worst atrocities and situations. Folks, what's the lesson? We, we've got to learn a lesson from, from this experience, a prophetic experience. You, you know, essentially, I think about this. I always like to learn lessons before the mistake. What's the best, best time to, 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 to decide it's not a good idea to jump off a 10 story building before you leave the edge? And so, when's the best time to learn a lesson before you suffer the problem? Folks, look what he's doing. He's giving us an opportunity right here. To look at the lesson that's going to be learned by the 144,000. We know what the lesson is before it ever happens. Why? Because we get it prophetically. And so check this out. We've got the lesson to know that the 144,000 are standing in the presence of God. Why? Because in the midst of the, the, the most heinous times, the greatest debauchery, the most wickedness, they held true to their testimony. Now, are any of you being hit by hailstones? Probably not. Are any of you right now 
uh, being chased and uh, threatened with death uh, for your testimony? Probably not. Uh, are, are any of you battling in an environment where people are infested with sores and, and, and demonic beings are, are coming and, and, and uh, helicopters are flying overhead launching myth? Probably not. These folks were. These people were being persecuted for their testimony, yet they maintained their testimony. Now think about what will talk to you out of your testimony. The little blip. Uh, somebody looking at you wrong. Somebody saying something wrong. A difficult circumstance. Losing your job. Uh, not having the right car. Your car breaking down. Whatever. Folks, listen. If you can be talked out of what you see now, you will never see Jesus then. I'm just telling you straight up. If you can't overcome the, the, these minuscule issues that we're facing right now in this world, if, if when the time comes to declare Jesus Christ as Lord in the midst of great catastrophes and calamities, you'll never see Him. You have got to get your testimony lined up with what He wants you to see. What are you seeing? What you're seeing is going to be what you are saying. These 144,000 you see, they stood before Him having His name written in their foreheads. They were sealed. They, he said, I heard them standing. And listen, He said, they, they had that, that, uh, the Father's name written in their foreheads. Here's what's so neat about that. Revelation 22, chapter 4 and 5 says this. 22, 4 and 5. It says that they shall see His face and His name shall be on their foreheads. There will be no night there. They'll need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that awesome? That with the, with the Word of God in your forehead it says that there shall be no night there because there will be no lamp nor light for the sun for the Lord gives them light. Folks, here's Let's, let's apply that. Let's look at the spiritual impact of that. When the Word of God, where's your, what's right behind your forehead? Your, your brain, your mind, the place where you, you store information. Folks, listen. When I have the Word of God stored in my heart and my understanding of my mind, there's no dark anymore. I don't have need for an outside light. I don't have a need for an outside illumination. I don't have need for my circumstances to somehow bail me out of my mood. You hear what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. Listen, there's going to be a time coming when the Word of God is going to be sealed in your forehead, so to speak. It's going to be in your mind that you're not going to need anybody to pat you on the back or give you attaboys. Why? Because God Himself is going to give you the light. God Himself is going to reveal Himself to you. You're not going to need somebody to say, Oh, I just want to give you a little bit of encouragement. You're not going to need somebody to send you a Hallmark card. You're not going to need somebody to send you a text message. You're not going to need somebody to send you a sweet little email. You're not going to need somebody to send you a bouquet of balloons or a, or a lollipop thing and say, I just want to let you know how special you are. Why? Because all of your uh, affirmation is going to come because you have taken the Word of God and you've hidden it in your heart and you will not sin against Him. You've seen things He is. Why? Because you've lifted Him up. He's drawn you to Him. And you say, Oh, God, I've been sweating all these details in my life. That's what John is seeing. He said, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood in the midst of Zion, and with him the 144,000 that finally got it. Their, their generations prior to them, this Jewish community had never got it. They, they had been forever learning. They never came to the knowledge of the truth. But this 144,000, you know why the, the, the adversary could not prevail against them until God said it? Why? Because they knew the Word. I had a conversation with a gentleman just the other day. He was 
uh, came visiting with me for a few hours, and he was just talking about you know difficult times. He's talking about you know what if you go to something and somebody comes up and, and wants to beat you up and you're witnessing. I said, brother, I don't smoke those things. He says, he says, well, you don't ever get scared of that. I said, no. He said, why? I said, because I know what the word says. I said, they may be threatening, but I'm the threat. I said, I'm more threatening to them. They may be trying to intimidate, but I'm the intimidator based upon what I know through the Word of God. And I began to give him some testimonies of situations that I've been through that in the natural, if I was walking in the natural, man, I'd have probably been beat down and somebody would shine their shoes on me. But because I knew what God had said in regards to that situation, I was not putting myself in peril, amen. I was putting myself in a position to obey the voice of God and declare what He had said. And so, at that juncture, nobody can touch me. Why? Because I have the seal of God's Word upon my head. Now, don't step out somewhere where you don't have a word from the Lord. I shared with you a testimony that I was in Jackson Square one night with Melanie. And I, the, this fight was about to break loose. The Lord spoke to me and told me to tell this guy to shut up in the name of Jesus. Well, make a long story short, he ended up shutting up. I got to lead him to the Lord and he renounced his whole lifestyle. Now, I, I saw other people later on at different times thought, well, you know, Pastor Troy told somebody to, to shut up. Why? Because I had that word sealed in my forehead what God told me. And now they told somebody to shut up. Somebody got in their face and said, boy, you don't be telling me to shut up. I'll shut you up. You can't be walking presumptuous. You've got to walk with that word from the Lord. And I, and I think about when, when, when Peter uh, uh, came off his boat and he told him, he said, you know, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers men. But he prefaced that by telling him, cast your nets on the side. And Peter said, well, Lord, we've tried all night and haven't caught anything, but nevertheless, that's your word. Lord God, I know it was difficult. Nevertheless, it's your word. I know my circumstances aren't going to let me go and preach the gospel there, but nevertheless, it's your word. I know that I don't have the money to do it, but I really want to obey. Nevertheless, it's your word. Lord God, I know what they said about me. I know how I feel in my flesh, but nevertheless, it's your word. Because when I have his word, what happens? I have his vision. And I'm able to see things. I'm able to be sealed. And all these things that come at me, they just wash right past me like, like water off of a duck's back. I'm not affected by those things. Why? Because I'm infected by the Word of God. And so you're either going to be affected by the things of the world or you're going to be infected by the things that you both see and hear that are going to bring a testimony out of your life. And lo and behold, the Lamb that stood in the midst of time and with him 144,000 having his Father's name written in their foreheads. And it says, I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with a voice. I heard a voice from heaven. I heard the phoneo. I heard the sound. I heard the voice. I heard what he was saying. I heard a noise that has been uh, that has been shouted abroad. And so what John is doing is right now he is hearing this heavenly choir that is breaking out in song. This hundred and forty-four thousand that that get it. And they're gathered in heaven, they're, and it's falling, they're, they're martyrdom, and they are so excited that they got to be a representative of Christ Jesus. Folks, the Word of God is explicit. It tells us, that, listen, if I if, can identify be a partaker of the suffering, you know what I'm also going to be a partaker of? His glory. His glory. I'm going to be a partaker of Revelation chapter 14, verse 2. I'm going to be a, a partaker of, uh, of Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to be a revelation of that, that, that the multitude that's singing the new song. I'm going to be a, 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 a participant in the 124,000 that are going to be singing the new song. Why? Because I'm going to get it. Folks, listen. Don't wait until Revelation 7. Don't wait until Revelation 14 to, to get your praise on, so to speak. Get it now. See what you saw now so you can hear His voice and you can begin to ring out with what we call that hallelujah chorus 
Because it's going to affect the way you worship God. So I told our church here locally that yesterday, I said, listen, why is it that we're real good at worshiping as long as there's the PowerPoint flashing up? The only words we have is what we borrow from Chris Tomlin or we borrow from, from Darlene Check or that's the only words of worship. What about your words? He wants to hear what you think. He doesn't want to hear that, you know, uh, uh, some, you know, uh, God is amazing that some songwriter wrote. He wants to hear that song that you've written on your heart through those hours of desperation where you've had to press through those problems. You've had to, to overcome. He wants to hear the song of your heart, the song of the redeemed. He wants to hear how you're redeemed. He wants to hear how somebody else is redeemed. He wants to hear the desperation, the plea of your heart, and the thanksgiving that you have for Him. And so, unless you have seen redemption, unless you've seen thanksgiving, you're not going to worship and declare thanksgiving. you hear what I'm saying? And so, you, you go to most churches, and what happens? Won't that be a day when God uh, comes back for His people, or, or amazing grace, how sweet the sound, or, or whatever it may be that you're, you're singing that day. But folks, what about coming in and you've got a new song in your heart, and you're letting the redeemed of the Lord say so, and it's not because you've got a song leader up there waving his hand like a, a, a metronome on, a, on top of a, a piano, but you've got something in your heart that there's the, 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 the song of the redeemed, there's the, the voice of every nation, every kindred, every tongue that's rising out from among you, and as you're walking into the grocery store, you're walking into that bank or whatever, well, there's a song in your heart and you're just giving thanks and praise and, and giving glory unto God when you're getting woke up in the middle of the night and the only thing that you can do is begin to give thanks unto God. I, I, I know that. You know, this morning, you know, I woke up probably at, at, at 3 or 4 o'clock in, in, the, in the morning and, and it may not have been a period for over 10 minutes, but the only thing that I could do is just tell God just how good and, and how glorious He was. I want my praise, amen, to be just as effective and be just as zealous and be just as intense at 3 o'clock in the morning laying in my bed waking out of a, 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 a night's sleep as it is at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning when we get together we have a person behind the piano or somebody on the drum. That's what this sound from heaven was birthed out of the experience and the sealing of God in the foreheads of uh, that 144,000 people. And it says he heard a sound from heaven as the sound of a new song but it was a song that nobody could learn but the 144,000. And only they could learn the song. Only they could sing the song. Why? Because it was a unique song to their testimony. They sung a new song. It were a new song before the throne, before the four beasts, and before the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000. I can tell you all of my experiences. I can tell you some, some testimonies of things that I've seen and I've heard. And, and you know what? Uh, you may get a little bit excited about that. But that testimony will never be your testimony. It won't. I, I can tell you about going and preaching and, and God being faithful. I can go tell you about God's provision and God's miracles in my life and in, in Melody's life and for our children. I can tell you those things, but you know what? Those are my testimonies. You know, it's, I hope they inspire you to go get your own. But my song comes out of my testimony. Your song is going to come out of your testimony. Your, your, your life, your, your urgency, your, your, the call of God upon your life it is going to be formulated by your testimony. This 144,000 had a unique situation. They had a unique testimony. They had a unique directive. And this song is birthed out of that. So don't talk about singing a song of deliverance if you ain't delivered. Can I just break it down like that? 
If you're not delivered, don't sing a song of deliverance because it's going to fall flat. If you're not walking in holiness, don't sing a song about the holiness of God. If you're not walking in, uh, under submission to God, don't sing a song about submitting yourself. If you're not willing for God to come in and, and work on your life, don't sing a song that says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. If there be any wicked way within it. Because basically what you're doing is you're drawing nearer to Him with your mouth, but your heart is far from Him. The song that they sung was a song that no one else could learn and that no one else could sing. Why? Because no one else had experienced the very unique experience that these folks had had. And so, looking forward, get yourself a song. Get yourself a testimony. Get yourself that therefore with joy you're going to draw waters from the wells of your salvation and you're going to begin to herald and declare the goodness of your God. Or don't. And good luck to you on that day. And it says, They sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. And you know, he said, I heard it as the voice of many waters. That Many waters always speaks of authority. It speaks of something so much larger than you. It speaks of something that's, that's moving, something that uh, is effective. And water is also a type of the Holy Spirit. And so we see just the, the voice of the Holy Spirit singing with them and as the voice of a great thunder. Once again, speaking of authority, speaking of the power of God and the voice of the harpers harping with their harps. Just back to verse 2. And so those singing are also basically playing with their harps. You know, and we, we think about what that is. Look at Psalm 12 real quick. Psalm 12, it's, it's pictured in that. And But I'm going to read first. I'm going to read uh, Psalms 144 real quick. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. It is praise in the assembly of the saints. Actually, I'm sorry. Not 44. I'm kidding. Read my own writing. My own typing. 149. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praise to Him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. What do we see in the presence of God? We see the glory of the Lord. How does He want us to be? Joyful in His glory. Is the glory of the Lord resting upon you? Is the glory of the Lord resting upon you, folks? If it is, you know what? You're going to be joyful. If it's not resting upon you, you're not going to be joyful. Let them sing aloud on their beds. I got to do that this morning. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all the saints. Praise the Lord. Folks, listen. We've got that opportunity right now to let the redeemed of the Lord say so, to let the saints be joyful in our glory. That the word new songs, new songs are mentioned nine times in the scripture. In each instance, basically what it does, it reflects the realization of God's grace and God's glory. You'll sing a new song as God brings you to a new dimension of His glory, of His grace, of His power, of His provision, of His righteousness, of His eternal nature. And it says, I saw them before the, uh, before the throne. That Once again, that 144,000 being lo uh, located before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. I told you that song is unique to them. It's a distinct group. They're the redeemed. And really what they are, they were the first fruits of the redeemed of Israel. Which is so important. Folks, think about this group of people. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me probably of that group that got to come over the River Jordan with Joshua and Caleb. You know, they were the redeemed. You had this generation that died off, that refused to believe the promises of God, that followed the testimony of the ten spies. Then Joshua led the people of Israel across into the, into the promised land. 
And think about the first place that they went to. It was Jericho. That was the first city that came down. And how did they bring it down? Singing the song of the redeemed. What, what brought that first place down to the promise? Their experience that they got redeemed, they were the first fruits of the redeemed that came out of Egypt from the world. Folks, listen, it's the same thing with us. If, if, if you just continue to sing the song of your redemption, all those walls, all those battles that you're in are going to come down. And so just like the children of Israel came into the promised land, and the, the weapon that they utilized to bring down Jericho was not that they steamrolled it with, with catapults and spears and, and mighty men. They catapulted and they bombarded it with their song, their, their declaration. Folks, I think about the word that we just we shared, you know, uh, out of James chapter four verse seven, you know, submit yourself therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will flee. Our submission sometimes is submitting our, our voice, it's submitting our heart, it's submitting our testimony to him, and it brings a great resistance to the adversary and he's got to flee from us. And so if I can just get that on and begin to praise through my problem, what's going to happen? I'm going to have a revelation of the promises of God. And so when I'm looking at that wall that seems so impregnable, if I'll just continue to worship God, if I look at that person's life that, that just seems so caught up in sin, if I just continue to praise God through the, those, those difficult times, I praise God, God, I thank you for saving my son. I thank you for setting him free. I thank you for opening his eyes. Lord God, I praise you, Lord God, that, that you've heard the prayer of his father and of his mother, Lord God, that we've cried out. Lord God, I, I thank you, Lord God, for everything that he's been involved in. God, I'm praising you that the words that I've spoken to him are not going to return void, but they're going to accomplish what you've sent them to do, that he's going to be convicted of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Lord God, I thank you in advance. Father, I thank you, Lord God, my sister in the Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that by your stripes that she's been healed. Lord God, I, 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 I I, I, I've been barred the circumstance with what I've seen. I've seen you heal. I've seen you deliver. I've seen you raise the dead. I've seen you open the blind eye. And so I'm going to bombard my problem with my praise, and I'm going to allow that to be the testimony for my circumstance and my situation. That's what they did back when the children of Israel came to the promised land. That's what you see them now in this 14th chapter. What are they doing? They're in heaven. They have a testimony. They are bombarding earth with the testimony of what God brought them through. And that testimony is going to bring judgment upon the, the, the inhabitants of the earth who are, are yielding to the Antichrist. Folks, you want to bring judgment on a situation? You want to bring closure to a situation? You want to bring victory to a situation? Bombard it with the testimony of what you've seen God began to do in your life. It says that they were the redeemed from the earth. You know what that's, that's talking about? That's like somebody that goes and gets something from a market. And it means to, to redeem, it means to go and purchase something, to go and gather something up. And it's the same word that's used in the new song of Revelation chapter 5. Let me read that to you. You are worthy to take up the scroll and open the seals. You were slain and have redeemed us unto God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Have made us to be kings and priests unto our God and we shall reign on the earth. Revelation 5 verse 10 and folks, those who sing in Revelation 5, basically they, what they did is they represented the church. They represented you and I. But the ones that are singing in Revelation chapter 14, they represent the redeemed of Israel. Why? Because we've got a unique song. Why? Because we entered into a unique covenant with them. And so Israel's not going to be singing our song. We're not going to be singing their song. We're going to be singing the song of the age of grace. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're going to, say, we're going to sing the song of God's divine influence. 
You know, I, I say that, man, I just get the Holy Spirit witness all over me. I'm going to sing the song of grace. I'm going to sing the song of God's power. I'm going to sing the song of God's deliverance. I'm going to sing the, God's, the song of God's holiness. Why? Because that's the song of my experience. That's the song of my transformation. That's the song of the new birth. That's the song of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's come into my life. That's what I'm going to resonate with. You know what? Not just now, but it's going to be the song that God continues to have us sing just right there in Revelation 5.10 throughout eternity. They're going to have their song. We're going to have our song as well. So they're going to be that song of that 144,000 that are the first fruits of that. Revelation 4.1, we're caught up. We're going to see things. That's the first fruit of the, of the rapture of the church. That's going to be the first fruit of the, the, the Lamb of God, the, 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 the bride who's adorned in preparation for uh, uh, the bridegroom. Now, check this out. It says that this song, I want to read that to you. It says, I heard the voice uh, of thunder, and they sung a new song. And it goes to verse 4. It says, They are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth is found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. You know, what this is, folks, this, is a, this was 144,000 people who were wholly dedicated to basically to do one thing, just to bring the lost to Christ. You know, folks, we're going to gather in uh, New Orleans in just a couple, what, two and a half weeks, I guess it'll be, for our, our Raven gathering. What's interesting, one of the highlights for most people is we come together on Monday, right out there in the midst of the debauchery, right out there, just right across the street from Jackson Square. That day, tarot card readers, palm readers, voodoo practitioners, all kinds of things like that are going to be out there. And we gather about 1,500 strong, and we begin to sing a song. Now, those 1,500 people have come. They've not come to do anything but to bring people to Christ. And it's amazing with all the battle that you go in and talking to people and, and crying with people and, and witnessing people. When we come together for that period of time, the atmosphere just changes. Why? Because you, think you have people crying out to God and worshiping and exalting Him. Why? It's the song of the redeemed. It's the song of the message of redemption. People are coming together and they, they, they come for one purpose and one plan and with one goal and that's to lead people to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. And folks, that's going to be the basis for that song of the redeemed. Listen, man, we had three and a half years to bring people to Jesus. And every course and every verse that they begin to share is going to be birthed out of the experience of bringing people to Christ. And folks, I said before the church in Israel, two distinct groups and uh, two distinct songs. It says they were not defiled with when they had given themselves over to that time period. Folks, let me ask you a question. What are you here for? And I'm not talking about uh, what are you here between 9 and 10 a.m. on uh, Monday through Friday for the Raven Institute of Ministry and, and Biblical Studies. I'm saying, what are you, what are you here in this, on, on planet Earth for? What do you think that God has put you here for? To have your best life now, as some people that would try to tell you to do it. Some people, uh, are, are you here to live the American dream? Are you, are you here to raise a, a sweet little nuclear family? Are you here for that? Or are you here to bring people to Jesus? Folks, there's really only one reason, period, for my existence. You know what? It's, it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, hopefully I'm a good husband. Hopefully I've been a decent father. Hopefully I'm a, a decent pastor to people, a, good, a decent teacher or whatever else. But really, at the end of the day, my only sole purpose in life is to bring people to Jesus. That's it. The only reason that God wakes me up in the morning is so that I can bring people to Jesus. The, the only reason that God would, would afford me the ability to, or whatever to, to know His Word, to His Word, is to bring people to Jesus and to equip other people to bring them to Jesus. 
If you got a job, you know why you got that job? So God can give you resources and give you opportunities within that environment to bring people to Jesus. You know why God puts you a spouse? Why? Because two are better than one, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This gives you another hammer in your hand to bring people to Jesus. You know why God has you single? Why? Because you can have a singleness of heart. Every circumstance that you're in, God is prepared specifically for you to bring people to Jesus. And so when it talks about they're not defiled with women, it's not talking about, you know, like the, the, in the Middle Ages when they begin to, to do this celibacy of the priest. It's not saying, well, you know, we're going to be part of the 144,000, so we, we can't marry. No, why? Because the, the, the marriage bed is undefiled. Filed. And he that finds a wife finds a good thing. So it's not talking about single people whatsoever. It's talking about what James 4 says. You adulterers, you adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. In other words, these were people that did not get caught up in the hubbub of the world. They did not allow the world to dictate their decisions. What did they do? Their decisions dictated the world that they were in. They did not allow their circumstances to move. What did they do? They moved beyond the realm of circumstance into the realm of the supernatural. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says this. It says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I might present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Folks, listen. If the bride of Christ, everything about our heart and life has got to be in devotion to Him. That was the song of the redeemed. That's the song of this 144,000 in Revelation 14. That's the song of the redeemed in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. It's based out of a situation that says, I am espoused to Him. My thoughts are espoused to Him. My words are espoused to Him. My relationships are espoused to Him. My vision is espoused to Him. My job is espoused to Him. My conversation is espoused to Him. My prayers are espoused to Him. My, my, my worship is espoused to Him. Everything I say and do is espoused to him as a chaste virgin. Second Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through, 6, 14 through 18. He tells you, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship is righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion is light with darkness? Where's that light? That's that light that God has put through his word into your forehead. So if you've got the word hidden in your heart, why are you out there talking darkness? Why are you believing darkness? What concord does Christ have with Baal? And what part is he that's a believer with an infidel? Verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Do you not know? First Corinthians 3, 16, that you're, uh, uh, you're the temple of God. For you, walk, uh, uh, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing. And then I will receive you, and, and, and will be the father among you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Folks, listen. Our song, our testimony, our redemption is the song of the undefiled. And so if you're walking defiled by the cares of this world, that's the defilement. He's not talking about uh, specifically sexuality. He's not talking about uh, matrimony. He's saying, listen, I'm not allowing myself to become a spiritual adulterer that I'm trying to serve two masters. But he's saying, I'm allowing myself to be uh, chaste. I'm allowing myself to have a, a, just a solidarity to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to keep my focus Primarily and solidly upon Him. They are those that follow the Lamb. They are those that adhere to who He is. They are the first fruits of the Lamb of God, the first fruits unto God, and they are without fault. They are with no guile. In other words, they are strictly speaking what God has put into their mouths. Folks, woo, praise God. That's where you say amen. Folks, we are totally out of time. 
this morning. But we're going to be back tomorrow with another edition of the Raven Institute of Ministry of Biblical Studies. Folks, this is really exciting. These visions, you know, where there's no vision, people perish. And if, if you don't have your own vision, borrow someone else's until you get it. If you need to borrow the vision that John got there in those first five verses that we talked about, that excites you. You know what? When you hear vision, what does it do? That's vision that I'm talking about today. That's the vision that he got. It ought to, for me, even sharing it this morning, it, it, it does that. It stirs something up inside of me. It makes me want to live different, be different, talk different, think different, worship different. It, it does. It changes the, the, the whole complexion of what I want to do even this morning. You know, I say this all the time. I'm going to say this in close. This is Get into God's Word. Get into God's Word. Get into God's Word.